What happens when we become our own worst enemy? Very challenging, isn't it? I know that I am my own worst enemy at some time, especially when it comes to dieting. I give in too easily. An unrealistic set of thoughts collide with what I know to be true, untrue. But they have such power over my decisions. I'm in Tesco's. And I look at those five donuts, custard-filled, freshly being put onto the shelves. Can you fix this? There's a bit of uh, feedback happening up here. Will I ever see another donut again? Maybe I should buy them now. (laughs) The truth is, every time I go to Tesco's, they're there. Right? But I am my own worst enemy when it comes to dieting. And so I buy the donuts. I don't eat just one. Not just two. Three. I mean, let's be honest. When will I ever see donuts again? (sighs) What does being your own worst enemy look like for you? Allow me to give a few examples. Number one, procrastination. We all know that feeling of putting off a task until the last minute. But when we procrastinate, we're not just wasting time. We're also setting ourselves up for failure. When we don't give ourselves enough time to complete a task, we're more likely to make mistakes. We're more likely to feel stressed and overwhelmed by looming deadlines. Now, I'm sure none of you know what that feels like. I do. Just like overthinking. I am a classic overthinker. I don't think well on my feet. When I'm confronted by a a sticky situation, sometimes it's a knee-jerk reaction. Other times I stand there dumb, mute, and wondering what to do, wondering what to say, and I walk off. So after the event, I replay it back repeatedly. It's on loop. You know, it's, it's, it's not on shuffle. It produces feelings of anxiety, stress, or being overwhelmed, leading to troubled sleep and a reduced ability to function the following day because I am a constant overthinker. I become my own worst enemy. Negative self-talk. Yes, I'm talking about that voice in your head. And don't look at me as if... Oh, Pastor Tom, you know, I'm sure that's only mentally ill people that have voices in their heads. No, we all do. We all talk to ourselves. Where are we going to get, you know, intelligent feedback from anyway? (laughs) But it is annoying, isn't it? It just goes on and on. You think to yourself, will you just shut up? And you know, you realize you're talking to yourself because it's your voice. We talk to ourselves and It significantly impacts our mental health and our ability to achieve our goals. When we're constantly putting ourselves down, it's hard to believe in ourselves and it's hard to take risks. We need to learn to be more compassionate and understanding towards ourselves. And I'm not talking about standing in front of the mirror every morning and saying, you're beautiful, okay? Because that would be a lie if I was to say that. (laughs) You know, I'm getting old. I was chatting with Scott Wilson on the phone yesterday. He's freaking out about getting old. Of course, he looks much older than me, but you know, he says to me, he looks at me and he looks at my face and he goes, you put cream on your face, don't you? I said, yeah, 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 I do every day at the clinic three-step, you know, wash, scruff and moisturize. He goes, I tried that once. It really hurt my eyes. I said, mate, you don't put it in your eyes. (laughs) You put it on your face and you could really do with some. What about catastrophizing? That's a great word, isn't it? This is the belief that something terrible is going to happen even if there's no evidence to support it. We do it all the time. 
I lay in bed and I think to myself, where's Denise? She's late. She had a car accident? She had a, an argument with somebody? Has there been a car crash? Am I going to have to go rushing down to A&E? She's just five minutes late. And that's it. But we become our own worst enemy. This leads to emotional distress and it's a self-defeating behavior. Comparison. Comparing yourselves to others is a surefire way of feeling bad about yourself because there's always going to be more beautiful, more handsome, uh, slimmer, more muscular, more, more defined, more beautiful people out there than you or me. We need to learn to focus on our unique strengths and abilities. Remember, the thief of joy is comparing yourself to others. Now, all of these above examples, and there's a dozen or so more I could have gone on with, they sabotage our chance of success in life. The foundation of these thoughts is that we don't believe in ourselves or we don't have faith in God. Fear, self-doubt, low self-esteem, past trauma adds to our subconscious belief that we are doomed to fail and don't deserve success. In turn, we become our own worst enemy, never to enjoy the rewards of our success. A couple of years ago, Denise and I went on holidays. We were in Phuket. And it took me three days to stop feeling guilty about sitting on a beach, surrounded by beautiful white sand, gorgeous sun, 35 degrees, and I had to work really hard to learn how to just enjoy the rewards of my success. These mental and emotional mechanisms sabotage our future. These cognitive distortions cause us to perceive reality inaccurately you've heard me say this before our emotions are not the best indication of truth and reality they can destroy relationships like marriage raising children having meaningful friendships they destroy our potential in business education and even stop us from fulfilling our Christian purpose and destiny the number of people I speak to over a year who feel like, oh, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could make that. You know, well, I don't know why you're looking at me. You know, in our core team meeting a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about the term imposter syndrome. And every one of us at one point in our time have felt like that. These negative thought patterns are inaccurate. They're biased and they lead us to be our own worst enemy. If these emotional and mental distortions are impact, impacted by trauma, they can sometimes lead to more severe forms of brokenness, even debilitating mental illness. But before we go there, let me talk to you as Christians. If you're not a Christian, just listen in. It may be an inspiration for you to maybe come to Jesus and find some of the help that Jesus is willing to give us. As Christians, we have an arsenal at our disposal. Now, we need to remember that our mind is an integral part of our identity and our personality. Now, you can't pinpoint your mind. You can't point to it on a diagram. Your mind is invisible. It's, it's, it's your subconscious, your unconscious. It's your thinking facilities. It's your brain. It's what happens with your brain. But what does the Bible say about defeating this enemy that we find in our mind? Okay, I'm going to ask the guys on a. 12 and verse 2. 
Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The renewing of our mind is a very challenging experience, but it's something that we are called to do. How do we renew our mind? We go back to the instruction manual, the Bible, the book that God gave us to give us understanding about how our mind works. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Your inner being, that, that invisible part of who you are, includes your mind. And the Bible says that we can be, what does it say? Strengthened with power through his spirit in you. How often do we call upon the power of the Holy Spirit when we're being challenged at being our own worst enemy, sabotaging our lives? Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2. These are the words of Jesus. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come. The whole concept of repentance is learning how to change your mind. That's what the word means. I know it's an old-fashioned religious word that has connotations of repent of your sins or you will be sent to hell. Well, the whole concept of repentance is learning how to change your mind. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 6. And the scripture says here, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So we can set our minds on the Spirit and in turn, I think there's a, a verse six that comes up here. No? We got another scripture that follows on from that? God bless you, whoever's coughing back there, that's lovely. We demolish arguments. and No, that's, that's the next scripture. So no, forget that one. Although we can come to it now. The scripture actually says in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 6, set your mind on the spirit and you find life and peace. You find life and peace. Whereas not to make yourself your own worst enemy. Okay, 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. We have the power to take every thought captive. The Bible says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up. God, help us over there. <laughs> Better not be COVID, buddy. <laughs> that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought. Now, the scripture says, through the power of God's Holy Spirit working within us, with a renewed mind that's been renewed by what the Bible actually has to say, we can take captive every thought. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And this is a challenge to us all. And it goes and it says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming, that your minds will be alert and fully sober. Set your hope on the grace of God. Here's the challenge. We allow these cognitive distortions that are untrue, inaccurate, biased, we let those things determine the outcome of our life rather than what the scripture says. Yeah. 
You become your own worst enemy when you ignore what God's word has to say. Prepare your minds for action. So prepare your mind for action. It's a challenge, I know, being prepared. Being sober-minded. Sober-minded means being free from illusions. It's challenging, isn't it? You know, I really appreciated what you had to say this morning, uh, Lily, that we've not been promised, you know, uh, a carefree life. We've not been promised a life that's easy and and we can make it through on every turn and every corner. The the, the truth and the reality is there are going to be loads of challenges that each and every one of us have to face. And those challenges are real. Sometimes it's the, the human kind of enemy. Sometimes it's the invisible kind of enemy, the not human kind. And I'll be talking about that next Sunday. But being free from illusions, we have a, an illusion that everything is supposed to be great. You know, church is wonderful, full of everybody that's going to encourage you and love you and, and inspire you. And the first time you come across somebody that's got up on the wrong side of the bed and says something nasty to you, you get your knickers knotted. You know, I'm living the church. There's no love here. God didn't promise a perfect church. If you find one, don't join it. You'll ruin it. Okay? What I'm saying is there are no promises that life is going to be carefree. There are promises that there will be many, many challenges. This word sober-minded, it refers to having the presence of mind. It, it, It refers to having one's wits about them. When we travel, I'm always looking around, okay? Denise may be with me, one of my other friends may be with me, and we're walking down. Uh, This Tuesday, Sam, Phil, and I are going to Naples. We're going to be there for Euroleague, which starts on Thursday and goes to Friday. We come back on Saturday. And no doubt, we will be walking around. But, you know, I'm constantly got my wits about me in the sense that I don't like people following behind me too closely. I'll pull over to the side and let them pass me. Who knows? They might be robbers. They're going to kill me or push me or or try and steal my bag, right? I've got my wits about me. I'm always looking at the ground just in case there's dog poop around the place. The number of people I see walking into dog poop, it's just amazing. The reason is they do not have their wits about them. And spiritually speaking, you can just take this metaphor as it comes. Spiritually speaking, you don't want to step in dog poop, do you? Just a spiritual analogy. I'm sure Jesus would have used it at one point. Right? You got it? Keep your wits about you. That's what sober-mindedness means. It's the opposite. Sober-mindedness is the opposite of being irrational or delusional. And when we're irrational, we become our own worst enemy. American psychologist William James has said, and you've heard us repeat this time and time and time again because it's probably one of the most powerful quotes for this generation, and it's this. The greatest discovery of my generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering their attitude of mind. As Christians, we have outsized help to do the heavy lifting of changing our response to these hurtful and destructive thoughts. We have the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But please listen up. There are things that we as a church are unable to handle. 
This is where we need to encourage someone to seek professional help in alleviating their pain. Should you come to me uh, with a broken leg? I'll be honest with you, ain't nothing I can do. I can pray for you that God will heal you, but my next word will be you need to go to A&E and have that thing x-rayed and then put into a cast, right? There are things that the church can't cope with. Stop looking to the church for things that the church cannot provide you with, okay? We are not the last stop when it comes to life. We've got a lot of answers for life, but there are some that we are not able to handle. This is where we need to encourage you to seek professional help in alleviating the pain. Again, there is no shame in seeking professional help. I want to pause just here. Uh, When I turned 50, I made best friends with my doctor because at the age of 50, men need to make friends with their doctor. There are things that they need to have checked on an annual basis. And trust me, it's important. Men, are you listening to me? Right? It is important. Everybody over 50, with your finger lifted, repeat after me. It is important to consult my doctor on a regular basis. (laughs) Don't expect me to lay hands on you for prayer. There are situations where and, and, I, and I, I want to have a go at society, but I also want to have a go at the church as well. We must stop stigmatizing mental illness. Jesus said in Mark 2 verse 17, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. If you're not well, you need a doctor. Oh, I'm, I'm willing to pray for you. And regardless of whether your illness is physical or emotion, emotional, it's a valid condition that must be taken seriously. Don't walk around with a broken ankle. Huh? Don't walk around with undiagnosed diabetes. Huh? Listen carefully to what I'm saying. This is just common sense 101. It's amazing though how many people ignore these kinds of things. If you're suffering from depression, talk to someone. If you feel as if they cannot help you, speak with a medical professional. Unfortunately, mental illnesses often face stigma, mostly because of ignorance, a lack of understanding, or just a negative attitude. Many people have suffered significant trauma and need the care of a medical professional, a therapist, even a psychiatrist. As counsellors within the church life, we don't possess the expertise or skills to further someone's healing. Prayer can help, but prayer alone, listen to me now, Prayer alone will not solve your problem. If you've got undiagnosed diabetes, you need to go to the doctor and you need to get yourself fixed up. If you've got high blood pressure, then you need to take your tablets. If you've got high cholesterol, you need to do something about it. Maybe it's diet and exercise, but you need to do something about it. If it's asthma, make sure you've got an asthma pump next to you. Are you hearing me? Now, these are all physical illnesses. If you're suffering with mental and emotional anguish, seek some help. There is no shame in doing this. Several years ago, probably around about 10 now, I felt the need for professional help myself in dealing with uncharacteristic depression in my life. It took me about six months to actually diagnose it myself. 
many tears and, and upset and, and I was feeling down and you know, talk about imposter syndrome. I just wanted to quit. I just felt so down. So I found a therapist and I went to him every week for a period of two months, which was very, very helpful. Now listen to me carefully. I didn't go to a Christian therapist, right? He was a man in his 70s and he was not a Christian. Do you know why? Because if I went to a Christian therapist, they would be saying, well, cast all your anxieties upon him. No, I know that scripture. I preached on it a dozen times. What are you doing telling me that scripture? I know the answer to that. I don't want Christian answers. I want people with a medical background, with a therapist's understanding, as a psychologist, a counsellor, a psychiatrist, I want them from their professional point of view to give me tips on how to deal with my situation. And do you know what he did? He analysed, as I spent those two months with him, he analysed what had actually caused that depression. He said, it's this, 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 and this, all combined with this, you know, the everyday pressures of the church. And you know, I took all of that on on board and I began to deal with each one of the things he told me to deal with within six months I felt like I was back to normal listen to me it is important it is important now some people it may take longer than six months and it may need prescribed medication to repair a chemical imbalance that's in your body people who are suffering from emotional illness it's not just, you know, where you just need to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. There are legitimate, physical, chemical, emotional, mental causes for what they're going through. Take it seriously. Take it seriously. Otherwise, you become your own worst enemy. I'll never forget the day I was in the pharmacy and uh, I heard this lady talking with the pharmacist and she said, oh, you know, my husband will never go to the doctor. He's just too proud. He just doesn't want the doctor to go poking and stuff and asking personal questions. I don't know whether women are actually um, set up in life to be able to handle doctors after all the poking and the prodding that they've had, you know, take into consideration childbirth, right? Men, on the other hand, we think that, you know, we don't cry and we don't have any problems. We've got the kin complex. I saw Barbie the other week. <laughs> Loved it. Uh, I know what I'm going to be dressed as next time I go out for a costume party. <laughs> Won't be pink. The challenge is, guys, you are just as likely to suffer from emotional turmoil than anybody else in society. There is no shame. Now, I'm still working with people like Sam and Phil, who saw me, especially Phil, who saw me at my worst in the midst of my own personal depression. Saw me at my absolute worst. I remember one Sunday morning up in the green room there, and uh, I was crying almost uncontrollably. And Phil is there, good bedside manner, by the way. And he was there and he's going, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it through this. He prayed for me. I mean, it, nothing happened, but he prayed for me. I'm sure something happened somewhere in the spirit realm, but I'm not sure. 
I couldn't do what I was called upon that day to do. Probably one of the only times I sat in the service and had to hand over the emceeing to someone else. I'll tell you this right openly. You can say, oh, but we thought you were super Christian. Wrong. But we thought you were, you know, the, you would never suffer from imposter syndrome. Wrong. Well, we thought you were, you were better than this. Wrong. Really wrong. But pastor, you're so strong in your faith, you should be able to pull yourself up by your bootstrings. Wrong again. Challenging, isn't it? When we think like that, we become our own worst enemy. Take time to listen to your doctor. Work with God to navigate yourself back to good health. We just went through a whole pile of scriptures that you can put into practice. Renewing your mind, strengthening your inner being, you know, being sober and alert and all those sorts of things, taken to captivity, all of those thoughts. You know, you can do all of that, but you're working with the doctor as well, if it's to that point. Our enemies at times appear overpowering, and our natural instinct is to back away from dealing with them. Others seek to ignore these things, but we do so to our detriment. Can I say, if you ignore diabetes, you could go blind. If you ignore high blood pressure, you could die. Are you hearing me? It's the same if you ignore depression. The challenge is stop being your own worst enemy. Acknowledge that there are problems. Seek help, whether that be medical, pastoral, time of intense prayer before God. There's nothing wrong with coming before God in three days of prayer and fasting over a situation. Trust me, the longer you leave these things unattended to, they become your enemies and you become your own worst enemy. The longer you ignore some of the problems in your life, the more power they have over you. Please, please, I'm begging you as your pastor, confront these issues and work to deal with these debilitating concerns. Why can't you enjoy the rewards of your own success? These are invisible ailments, most of what we've been talking about. Cholesterol, high blood pressure, depression. Nothing changes, though, until it's confronted. And what you tolerate, you think to endorse. I believe that God will work with you, so don't be your own worst enemy. Okay, come to God. Ask him for his help. There's nothing wrong with taking diabetic medication and still praying that God will give you the self-control to say no to donuts and apple pies. Oh, God, I love apple pies. And pudding. And sweet sugary drinks. Are you hearing me? He said, oh, it's too hard. It's too hard. I want to finish with Psalm 23. You know it all. It's very good. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you. God never abandons us. And he repeatedly says that. He will never leave us or forsake us. 
even in the midst of seeking medical treatment for infections and taking our prescribed antibiotics. We sometimes need to seek the medical advice of a professional who will deal with our mental and emotional health. Listen to me very carefully, I'm gonna finish with this. There is nothing cavalier in quietly enduring your pain and inner turmoil. There's nothing heroic about that. You have become your own worst enemy and you are destined to failure unless you confront the issues. This is true about character flaws in our lives as well. Oh, how many times have I gotten angry and I wish later I could have taken back every word I said. What I have to do, I end up having to humbly apologize to the people I got angry with. Believe me, being self-disciplined when I get angry is much better than the humiliation of having to then go and make an apology. Don't be your own worst enemy. Determine with God's help to be your own best friend. There's no conflict in working with God and medicine. Church, I love you and I'm your pastor and we care about you and we're here to help you work through all of the horrible negative garbage around you. We'll help you. We'll do everything we can and we'll lovingly work with you alongside of good medical attention as well. You got it? No. Yes? Stunned? I don't know. You sound a bit stunned this morning. Anyway, I'm always good for telling you the truth. Hey, be back in a minute. Bless you.